Matthew chapter 3, and verse number 1. Praise God. If you're there, say amen. amen. In those days came John the Baptist preaching in the wilderness of Judea. And he was saying, repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. For this is he that was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness, Prepare ye the way of the Lord and make his paths straight. Now this John had his raiment of camel's hair, a leather girdle about his loins, and his meat was locusts and wild honey. Then went out to him, Jerusalem and all Judea and all the region round about Jordan and were baptized of him in Jordan confessing their sins. Somebody was obeying. Amen. And then he saw that many of the Pharisees and Sadducees had come to his baptism. He said unto them, O generation of vipers. Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruits, meat, or acceptable for repentance. This guy's pretty, pretty uh, consistent with his message, isn't he? He said, and think not to say to yourselves, we have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able of these stones to raise up children unto Abraham. Now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. And this is tough preaching right here. Thank God this was John. He said, therefore, every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. He said, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. And he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. He said his fan is in his hand. And he will thoroughly purge his floor, the threshing floor. And he will gather his wheat into the barn, into the garner. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. Verse 13, and I'll be done. Then cometh Jesus. This is powerful. I'm going to give away my whole lesson in the beginning. I have to do it in order to be able to teach to you. John the Baptist is a firebrand preacher coming out of the wilderness after three years. And the only thing that he can preach is repent. And it was this kind of preaching. That revealed the Messiah. It was a move of repentance. That caused Jesus. To become the visible. Manifestation. Of every messianic prophecy. That had been prophesied. What does this mean to us today? I believe. That before we see the coming of the Lord, there's going to have to be true repentance preached. Amen. 
And when repentance is preached and men begin to recognize the error of their ways, if it revealed the Messiah the first time he came, I believe it will reveal the Messiah for the rapture of the church. Do you believe that? Amen. So tonight, I just want to talk to you from this chapter a little bit, and I want to, I want to talk to you about uh, what John was preaching here. It wasn't a popular thing for him to preach. It may not have been popular, but it was right. You believe that? Amen. You may be seated. I don't know how many times I've heard it in my life that you'll never go wrong doing what's right. You'll never go wrong doing what's right. And I feel like the last few days my mind has just been inundated with thoughts of some things that I've seen transpiring in the earth right now among people that, if I could say it like this, people that know better, people that have been delivered, people that know doctrine, people that know truth, yet their minds have been warped somehow. Now, listen, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you something really, really strong right here at the very beginning. I'm going to tell you why repentance is so important. The most dangerous thing about deception is that you don't know when you've been deceived. Yeah, that, that was like deep, wasn't it? Some of you are like, that's, that's all you got? No, I'm telling you right now, folks. We need to understand what I'm telling you right now. Deception is so scary because it is a self-invited, self-inflicted spiritual warfare that you lost and gave into. And you don't even know that you're deceived. And deception leads you to a place, ultimately, of delusion. Now, deception is brought on by yourself. In other words, the scripture said uh, that false Christ would rise and deceive many. And I've talked to you about that in that scriptural narrative that the only thing mentioned three times, multiple times, about the coming of the Lord is a spirit of deception working. The very elect being deceived. False Christ arriving, uh, 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 arising and deceiving many. And as well, he said that many would be offended and would be, would be deceived. So deception is something that we allow. Delusion is something that God sends when we embrace our deception... With the sin of justification. That was free. I'm going to move slow tonight for just a little bit because I believe I've heard from the Lord. There is absolutely no doubt in my mind that what we have in this sacred book right here is 100% infallible and true. I don't believe for one moment 
that we should have to question whether or not the doctrine that we teach and preach and believe is true. And if you're questioning that tonight in your mind, you need to get that settled. Because it is this end time spirit that's telling us to just be more open minded. That's leaving room for people to become deceived. I've said it so many times. The problem with open minded people is after a while they get so open minded their brains fall out. And I've heard people say over the last few days just listen to some things. And I'm not going to drive you crazy with it, but I've listened to some people say that the reason they believed what we believe and lived the way we lived is because they lived it out of fear. I don't feel that way. I don't feel that way. I don't live this apostolic, holiness separated life because I'm afraid that I'm going to let somebody down. Now, I'm not telling you I haven't had times that I was afraid of hurting my parents or hurting ministers that have poured into me or hurting you precious people that God has allowed me to be a part of uh, full-time pastoral ministry in this church for 21 years last month. Don't think that hasn't crossed my mind, but I'm saying to you, that's not the motive. I don't live this way because I'm afraid that I'm going to go to hell. I live this way because I love it. You understand where I'm getting tonight? And this is what Jesus is trying to teach us through his word. And he's trying to help us with in his word. Now, I'm I'm just telling y'all, you might as well put your seatbelt on for a few minutes tonight. I'm going to come back to Matthew 3. This is all going to make a big circle. But I've got to deal with what's on my heart. John came out of the wilderness saying, repent. Why? So you don't go to hell? No. Did he say, repent so you can go to heaven? No. He said, repent because the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It's present. It's here. It's now. Now, there are people that believe a doctrine that we call preterism. Essentially, preterism is, I'm just going to like barely scratch the surface of it. I'm not going to go deep into it. But it essentially believes and teaches that everything the Lord promised would happen has already transpired. In other words, when he was standing at the temple and he said, uh, that there won't be one stone that's left that's uh, not overturned and that this temple would be destroyed and all of that that happened in 70 A.D. They believe that the fulfillment of all that happened in 70 A.D. They believe that was the coming of the Lord. That was the rapture. It's over. It's not going to happen. So now we're just existing. That's dangerous. And I really don't know why people who actually have embraced that kind of theology and teaching are even still teaching Bible. Because if it's already happened, what does it matter? You understand what I'm saying? And so the issue with false teaching and false truth is that it has to have some kind of an appeal of truth or you wouldn't buy into it. And so it has to have some perspective that sounds close enough to truth 
that you just say, well, maybe I was off just a little bit, and so that's what I'm going to believe. And so John is dealing with the Spirit in the hearts of these people who have been promised since the days of Abraham that a Messiah is coming. The Messiah is coming. That heaven is going to come to earth and that there's going to be a liberation. And it's all going to transpire by the act of God and the hand of God. And so now we understand that uh, the prophecy has been fulfilled and the Messiah is walking the earth. And they don't want any part of it. And I'm going to tell you folks, I've seen some things happen in the last little while that have scared me to death about the heart. I've been perplexed about the heart of people who call themselves children of God. Because we've lived all our lives talking about what the end times are going to be like and that there's a possibility we're going to have to live through some things. And all of us were excited when we'd preach about trumpets and angels coming down. But when we see tough times, people have decided they don't want anything to do with that. And so all of a sudden, heaven has become our exit strategy saying, God, get us out of here, please, before we have to face trouble. Get us out of here. And we are constantly praying, constantly praying, come quickly, come quickly, come quickly. And we're spending all of our time saying, Lord, come get us, come get us, hurry up, get us out of here before it happens. And the Spirit of the Lord has been moving our hearts trying to get us to understand that He's going to come when He's good and ready to come. And that our uh, responsibility before he comes is not to stand around begging him to come back and get us out of here. He did not say stand around and pray for my coming. He said occupy until I come. And so people are getting frustrated because God's not doing what they want him to do. And the message of John Baptist was not get your heart right so you can go to heaven. Now I'm going to try not to lose you right here. But I've been on this thing over the last couple of years that has really, I've, I've struggled with. I've taught a little bit about it in this church. I've, I've mentioned it a little bit in my teaching and preaching here. But I want to tell you something, church family, that has truly troubled my heart. That is the subculture of Pentecostalism. We have called ourselves the most biblically based traditional church from the book of Acts until now. In other words, like the, we, we have the claim that we are the only so-called Christian movement that has not changed since the book of Acts. Now, nobody else can, can say that. If their doctrine comes from councils and creeds, they can't say that. We are the only church that has survived for 2,000 years, and we still believe salvation comes the way that the early church was saved. We don't believe that it happens by just confessing with your mouth and believing in your heart. We don't believe that you can just believe in your heart and that everything's good. If that were the case, then Acts 19 is a mess. Because he said, have you received the Holy Ghost since? You believe. But I'm going to tell you folks what has happened, in my opinion, uh, as we've moved into my lifetime and I've watched things happen. 
We have come to a place where we would rather have the approval of people in our fellowship groups, in our church organizations, than we would to walk in the infallible truths of the Word of God. And I had a conversation some time ago with some of the leadership in our organization. We were talking about some doctrinal issues. And the first thing that happened when we started talking about it is they said, well, our Constitution says. And I said, well, I'm not as interested in the Constitution as I am the Scripture. I'm saying to you tonight that we have created... A subculture of existing in our own little Pentecostal world that we believe it's the will of God for us to be saved and just be happy and occupy a pew and have good church and all of that's necessary. But the call for repentance from John Baptist before the Messiah is truly revealed had absolutely nothing to do with heaven. And it's like, in this day and time, the way that we present salvation through the subculture of Pentecost is, if you don't want to go to hell, then you'll be born again. Am I lying? Is everybody trying to figure out what I'm doing here tonight? I said the other day with uh, Brother Stephen at breakfast, he probably got tired of hearing me talk. This is, this is honestly where we're at. We, we, we use eternity to get people to want to be saved. And we threaten them, so to speak. I don't mean that in an ugly way. There's no real better word. But we put the pressure on them. The reason you need to get in church, and that's a, a part of our subculture again. It's not about being converted. It's like... You need to go to church. When I was a boy, my mom and dad used to, we listened listened to Keith Green a lot. I don't know how many of you ever listened to Keith Green. And I'd go to sleep at night either listening to Keith Green or, or preaching tapes. And Keith Green said in one of his live recordings, he said, going to church don't make you a Christian no more than going to McDonald's makes you a hamburger. That's pretty good teaching. Yet what's our approach with people? You don't want to be lost, man. You don't want to go to hell. Come to church with me. And it's like we've created this little subculture of existence. You need to get saved so you don't go to hell. And John is trying to break the back of that spirit when he looks at the Pharisees and the Sadducees and he said, you're a bunch of snakes. Because you've got all the law figured out, the part that makes you lost or saved, but you don't understand repentance. Church family, I'm telling you, we're in dire straits in Pentecost when we can preach about heaven And we can preach about hell, but if the Lord were to come while we were in service, 
How many people have repented of their sins, been baptized in Jesus' name, filled with the gift of the Holy Ghost, and still don't understand repentance? Woo! Pretty tough teaching on a Wednesday night. Do you know how people backslide? Because they don't understand repentance. Because the subculture of Christianity that has leaked over into Pentecost has convinced us that repentance is telling God you're sorry. Yet the scripture itself is indicative of the fact that it's godly sorrow that worketh what? Repentance. What is John talking about? First of all, let's look at who John is. John is born into a family of priests. John is directly related by blood to the Aaronic priesthood. So these Pharisees that he's looking at are essentially family to him. These are people that understand the law inside and out. They understand the law of sacrifice inside and out. Yet he said, you're a bunch of vipers. I'm trying to get where I'm going. Stay with me. John came out preaching repentance. Saying to them, if you would give me the latitude to say this. He comes out saying, you can quote the word, but you don't understand the word. You've got the word in your mind, but you don't have it in your heart. Because the people who were hungry repented and were baptized. But the spiritual people came over and stood on the banks and said, Now who does he think he is? His grandfather would be grossly disgusted at the way he looks right now. Because we've got the dress part figured out. And we know how to look like priests. And tell everybody else how to fix their sin. But we don't understand repentance. Am I helping anybody? You can get so polished and professional in your Pentecostalism that you forget what it feels like to be brought out. Church family, listen to what I'm telling you right now. There will be people, if the Lord withholds His coming very much longer, there will be people in this room that will die before they see the coming of the Lord. So the whole promise cannot just be about hurry up and get saved so you can go to heaven. What about people that will die before the coming of the Lord and they'll never see the coming of the Lord with their eyes this time. They're going to see it when the dead in Christ rise. Well, pastor, that's all that matters. They died in the faith. But understand me when I tell you that Hebrews 11, when it speaks of what Bishop Bingham used to call Faith's Hall of Fame, I want you to understand the power of these people's faith. Go read it for yourself. It doesn't talk about them going to heaven. It said they died in the faith and they had not received the promise. And we live in this world, this thought idea that if we get saved, all we've got to do is get saved and just hold on till Jesus comes. One more conference, Pastor. You guys have heard me talk about this last year, how, how bad 
carnal people struggled because they had to have camp meeting and conference to be saved. And they just backslid. Because they couldn't go stand with thousands of people. And the Lord was trying to deal with the hearts of people during this season and say, understand that my relationship with you cannot be built on hype and exhilaration and just be together in your own little subculture of fellowship until I come. What is it in the book of Acts? Repent and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. We are not looking for people who will fall in love with heaven. We're looking for people to fall in love with Jesus. If I could break it down Gerber style like this for you, I want to tell you this. Jesus is not a byproduct of heaven. Heaven is a byproduct of serving Jesus. Back in probably 2004, 2005, I could go back through my notes. I wrote it down in the middle of the night. The Lord woke me up, and this is what he said to me. And so I'm telling you, this is not just something that in the last two weeks I wrestled around with and thought that would be good teaching. I'm telling you, God's been dealing with my heart for the better part of this last decade to understand. He woke me up in the middle of the night, and this is what the Lord spoke to me. He said, and listen very closely. Don't let this confuse you. I'm going to take it slow. He said, when my people finally long for heaven to come to earth, as much as they've longed to go to heaven, they'll finally go to heaven. I'm going to bring it back to you. He said, when the church... Finally get so hungry for heaven to come to earth. As much as they've longed to go to heaven. Then I'm going to come back and take them to heaven. You thinking about what I'm, what I'm saying to you right now. Is anybody confused? Don't raise your hand if you are. Listen to pastor when I tell you this tonight. Heaven's a beautiful thing. But I'm not going to heaven to see a gate of pearl, walls of jasper, street of gold. No. The things that John described in the holy city, New Jerusalem coming down, it was not the revelation of the city. It was the revelation of Jesus. And what John was preaching is repent, 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 because the kingdom of heaven is here. Oh, my, my, my. John understood this word repentance. Now, I know your New Testament was written in Greek. But John Baptist was of the lineage of Aaron and the priesthood. He understood the word. He understood the laws of God. He understood it very, very clearly. Don't think for one moment that the hand of God was not on John Baptist. As a matter of fact, he received the Holy Ghost in his mother's womb when Mary walked in with Jesus in her womb. You've read this story more than likely. John was a holy man. He was born holy. He was a holy man of God. And when John was preaching repentance standing on the banks of the Jordan River, he was not preaching confession. 
Are y'all still with me tonight? These are those nights where I feel like if I spit it to the fifth row, it might work a little better. He was not teaching and preaching confession. He was teaching what we call in the Hebrew language teshuva. The true understanding of repentance can be visible to us in the story of Joseph and his brothers in Egypt. Now, I don't have time to teach this because this is another whole lesson of its own. But it's a picture for us of what transpires. True teshuva has not happened in your life. True repentance has not happened in your life. Until some things are manifested that are plainly visible to those who knew your yesterday. Oh, I want to help somebody so bad tonight. What happened with Joseph's brothers? They hated their younger brother. Their younger brother, they sold him. Acted like he died. Their father believed the bloody coat. Blah, blah, blah. Same. I I can't teach it. I don't have enough time. They hated their younger brother. They hated his dreams. They hated everything about him. What did God do? God took what they meant for evil. Turned it around for good. What did God do? God established him in the kingdom of Egypt. God raised him up. God elevated him. God brought him to a place where one day his brothers had to come back to him. I've had people say, man, why in the world did Joseph say, go get your youngest brother? Why did he do that? Because he was testing repentance. He wasn't flexing his arms saying, this is how much power I've got. Joseph was testing for true teshuva, true repentance. Why? Because he saw how they treated their younger brother in years gone by. So I'm in fast forward mode. He said, go get the youngest. And if you don't get the youngest, then you don't get food. Read it for yourself. Go get your younger brother. And he speaks to them through a translator. It's in your Bible. I'm, I'm, I'm in fast forward mode here. He speaks to them through a translator. So they said, we can't, we can't do it. We can't go get our younger brother. Our father's already lost one son, and this would kill our father. We can't do it. He said, go get him, or I'm not giving you anything. So they go get their younger brother, and they bring him back. And Joseph says, I'm about to make your youngest brother a slave. Have you read it? He said, I'm about to make Benjamin a slave. But he's talking to them through a translator. And in their own language, in the Hebrew language, they start talking to one another and say, we can't do this. We cannot let Benjamin become a slave. And Judah gets it. Judah raises his voice and he says, my brother cannot be a slave. I'll stay if you need me to stay. But my little brother cannot stay here and be a slave. And do you know what happened? Man, I feel the Holy Ghost. Do you know what happened when Joseph saw true repentance? Here's what happened. They not only had regret for what they had done, but they had been sent the occasion to do again what they had done before and refused to do it even though they had the opportunity. And the next thing that transpires is that Joseph begins to weep and he begins to speak to them in Hebrew and he says to them, I am your brother that you thought was dead. What are you saying, Pastor? I'm saying that true repentance revealed the heart of royalty in their life. 
It was a true spirit of repentance that caused Joseph to be revealed in their world of who he really was. I'm going to say it to you like this if I can. The reason that John was preaching repentance so strong is that if a true heart has experienced true repentance, you won't have any trouble seeing who Jesus is. Helping anybody. We can connect all these dots. Joseph being a type of the Messiah. The liberator of his people. Establishing all of that. But his identity is not revealed to them until they experience repentance. So what John is saying to them is. If you really want to know what this is all about. This is not about making these Pharisees and Sadducees happy. This is about true teshuva. It's about true repentance. It's about having the opportunity to do it like you've always done it. But refusing the opportunity because you've seen the light of who you are. And when you see the light of who you are, then God can reveal who he is. say this again slowly so that it settles in your heart the true revelation of who deliverance is cannot come to you until who you are is revealed (laughs) Joseph sets all that that whole thing up man I wish I did have time Talk about he puts a cup in there and all kinds of like he sets the whole thing up and gets it done. And the whole all the whole thing was about was to see is have you really changed? Has there really been a change in your heart? In other words, now here it comes. Are you just here because you want corn? Oh God. So I gotta ask you tonight. Is the only reason you're here because you don't want to go to hell? Bishop, I'm convinced that this is a reason why we can be saved, so to speak, for 30 years and still have an inconsistent prayer life. Now I'm fixing to get down here where you're living. Because we only have to be saved enough to go to heaven. And our approach is that if we've done everything that we have to do to be moved, Brother Jordan, from the category of sinner to saint, then it it don't matter. I'll do my due diligence. I'll show up when I'm supposed to. I'll pay my tithes. I'll just be faithful. And that's it. I can go to heaven. My wife told me the other day, I don't know what it was about the sermon, but she told me the other day, she was like, you need to bring that one back. And Sister Abigail mentioned it to me a few months ago about the unprofitable servant. Now, again, I'm, I'm teaching to you in fast forward mode. So if, if you've got to uh, take a note, just write down unprofitable servant and look this up. Jesus is telling the story about the unprofitable servant coming, coming in. He, he talks about if uh, how many of you bring your servant in. Let him work for a little while. Then you serve the servant. He goes through all this stuff. And he makes this statement, church, that will, it, it, 
it rocked my world. It, it, it messed me up because it truly is. Let me say this as nicely as I can. It's no wonder the world looks at us and calls us legalists. If our motive for doing it is just being saved. Am I making any sense? I'm, man, I'm trying so hard to get this to you. Like, people look at us and say, I don't want to be Pentecostal because of legalism. Well, technically, Jesus was a legalist. I mean... If you just want to be technical about it, Jesus was a legalist because he set prerequisites. And he said, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. That's legalism. That if, if, if you're going to be a part of this, then I'm, there's going to be parameters and boundaries you're going to have to set in your life. But understand, Jesus was not saying, if any man come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross so he can go to heaven. What did he say? So Jesus is talking about this servant coming in and working, and this is what he said. I'm telling y'all, it wrecked me. I don't know how many of you remember the sermon, but it wrecked me. I couldn't sleep. It, tore, it just like tore me up. Look it up in your Bible. He said, when you have done all that's been commanded of you. Somebody say that with me. Commanded of me. He said, when you've done everything that's been commanded of you, say then. We are unprofitable. I'm trying to get this down in the heart of somebody tonight. You cannot backslide and move away from God if you keep the commandments because you love him. You backslide and get cold when you do it because you have to. Well, I'll go to church because if I don't, you know, pastor preaches about faithfulness. Man, I get up, you know, it's like I get upset and I don't want to be lost, so I'm going to go to church. You're miss you've, you've already missed it. Is this all right, Brother Elvis? You've already missed it because when we start living out standards, whatever they may be, uh, I grew up hearing holiness standards like being synonymous holiness and standards. I think the more wisdom we use, the more we can see that it's kind of a separation that standards aren't necessarily holiness. But if you love holiness, you'll have standards. Am I helping anybody? And so my point is that there are people that have raised entire generations of church folks believing that if you don't dress just right and talk just right and all that, you're going to hell. Well, I struggle with that. Because there's a part of me that certainly can agree with the concept that if, you're, if you don't love him enough to be separated, then you really don't, you're not going to make it. You don't have the strength to stand. But you cannot make people fear falling so much 
that they live separated out of fear of failure. That's why when I started this tonight, maybe some of you were wondering, well, when I started teaching tonight, I said, I don't do this because I'm afraid. I do it because I love it. Oh, I really want this to get down in somebody's soul. You don't need a dictator in your life to tell you to stay holy. You don't need me standing up in this pulpit every week and saying, if you don't do this and you don't do that and you wear this and you go there, you're, you're going to be lost and you're going to go to hell. No, no, no. You don't need a dictator. You need a prayer life. And I hope I'm making sense. You don't need somebody to stand up here and I will continue to preach holiness. Don't you get me wrong and don't misquote me. But understand me when I tell you that you don't need somebody making demands over your shoulder every day. For instance, that you would do differently if I was standing there than you do if I'm not present. If you won't watch it because you're with me, but you'll watch it when I leave. I got off yet and am I all right? Something has got to challenge us to not be a fear-ridden movement. That I'm so scared that I'm going to fail God that I'm going to live like this. Look, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. Don't misunderstand that. He, He was not throwing that out there saying... You'll prove your love to me by keeping, your, by, by keeping my commandment. No, no, no. He was not saying to them, if you don't do this and you've already shown me you don't love me. No, no. He was just simply saying, if you love me, it's not even an issue. If you love him, you don't stand around all the time trying to figure out how much we can get by with and still be saved. I believe this message that I'm teaching to you right now can heal us. Because it makes you fall in love with the master. Sister Bingham, I was reading the other day and I thought of of Papa. I've heard him preach it so many times. I was reading about the, the, the year of release for the slave. And if the slave came back, I wish I could just hear his voice preach it one more time. He said it would take that slave and put him up against that doorpost and take an awl and drive it through his ear. And it was a mark on that slave that I could have left. Folks, I'm going to mess with you right here, okay? I love all of you so much. I'm... When I say this, I'm being sincere from the depths of my soul. I'm honored to be called your pastor. I'm beyond honored. But here's what you need to know. You can walk away anytime you want to. (coughs) Anytime. We'll, We'll be sad. We'll pray for you. Hopefully people will keep their flesh under control and keep their mouth off of you. And we'll pray God brings you back. But here's the, th- here's the thing that I'm trying to get down to you. 
If you don't get what's making you leave fixed right now, when you come back, you'll still be dealing with the same thing. This is a principle that once you start looking for the principle that I'm teaching, you can find it in Joseph. You can find it all through. But a, a powerful story about this is Luke 15. The prodigal. Now, this is going to mess with y'all. Oh, God, forgive me, Lord, if they're mad at me, but I'm going to preach the truth anyway. Does anybody see the father go running to the pig pen to find the boy? That's, I'm going to mess with y'all's brain right here. Because we have preached and preached and preached. Go get the backslider, go get the backslider, go get the backslider. But I want to tell you why we're not successful so many times. is because the father is wise enough to know if I go get him right now and drag his hide to this altar. He'll walk off and leave again. You can push backsliders and push prodigals and push and push and push and push. But until they have that come to themselves moment in the pig pen. Sometimes that prodigal has got to get so low, Brother Castro, that he's got nowhere else to go. And it's not until that moment right there. Listen, maybe we ought to just start praying in a little different way. That's it, Sister Kelly. Whatever you got to do. Man, I just felt something change in here. I wonder sometimes if we wouldn't be more effective staying on the porch. Saying, God, whatever you got to do. Why didn't Jesus show up before John preached repentance? Because it wouldn't have worked. Are you feeling what I'm saying? He had to preach repentance. Before the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world, can be revealed. Because if the Lamb shows up and you're happy and you're conditioned... His arrival is irrelevant. Jesus' name. Why doesn't Joseph just give them food and send them home? Because it's a waste of investment if they still hate their brother. Jesus' name. We quote Acts 2 and 38 and we pass by it and act like it's this cyclical thing. Repent, be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sin. There's a reason why Peter started with the same thing John did. You cannot hear a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind. Until you have repented. Now, I'm going to get strong out here, y'all. I'm, I'm telling you right now, I'm going to get strong. 
My, my doctrine on baptism is strong. I'm talking about crazy strong. I'm not excited about throwing people in water that haven't repented. I don't want to have baptism Sunday and line them up from here to the back wall and say, just get in there for the sake of doing it. Because the blood can't be introduced to something that they haven't reconciled in their heart with God. I don't want to be that anymore. And I understand the, the timing and the, 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 the days. And if I had time, I'd break it all down for you. But let, can I just use a principle for you on the day of Pentecost? You notice they didn't just walk in the first day and the Holy Ghost fall. They had to stay for over a week. Because God wanted to be sure before I put my stamp on that. These people can be in one mind and one accord. And when they walked out of the upper room, they had been in one mind, one accord. They had all been baptized in Jesus' name and filled with the Holy Ghost. And when they walked out and the world looked at them and said, Men and brethren, what should we do? He starts with the same thing John did. Repent. I'm just asking y'all the question tonight. Is there anywhere in the second chapter of the book of Acts that you see anything about the church going to hell? Anywhere? I'm fixing to mess with you right here. Here comes the full circle. Peter's, Peter doesn't stand up, Bishop, and say, Repent, be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for remission of your sin, you shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost so that you can go to heaven. As a matter of fact, the, the mention of heaven in Acts the second chapter is there came a sound from. Are y'all picking up what I'm putting down? Why did John say repent? Because heaven has come here. Can we walk through something real simple as I'm closing tonight? The disciples said, Jesus, teach us to pray. So we're going we're gonna to do this. So he says, when you pray, he didn't say, quote this. He said, pray after this manner. Our Father. Where is he? Okay. First acknowledgement. I'm here, and you're there. You're holy. I'm not. Am I reading too deep into this? Our Father, you've got to acknowledge him as your Father. You've got to acknowledge him as a holy God. Our Father, who art in heaven, holy, hallowed, sacred, is your name. Hallowed be thy name. Verse 10. Because I want to go to heaven. Thy kingdom. Whose kingdom? My father. In heaven. Holy God of heaven. 
I need your kingdom to come where I'm at. Because I want your will to be done where I am. As it is in heaven. This is earth shaking. This will change your life. When you stop living every day saying, I hope I'm good enough when the trumpet sounds. What are you going to do if you die before it sounds? I, I, I don't say this tonight to be facetious. I'm just being honest with you. I really hope the trumpet doesn't sound midweek. Because there's a lot of people that if they're, if they're disconnected very long, very many hours at all from a Sunday night experience, they're not going to make it. Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I pray that somehow tonight I have conveyed to you from what I believe to be the heartbeat of God. That we have wasted so much time begging and pleading and awaiting the reward. That we don't truly understand the value of the relationship. Does anybody remember how the Apostle Paul was converted? Jesus had ascended to heaven. And Saul was riding a colt, the road to Emmaus. When all of a sudden a bright light shone and a voice spoke from the heavens. And think about the question that Saul asked. Brother Stephen, it's like the opening of the Lord's Prayer. He says, Who art thou, Lord? You can read this quickly, pass over and be like, whoa, he was scared to death. No, 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 no. Listen, there was something happening in the earth. He was like, in that moment, he realized there was something so much more holy than he was. He said, I want to know who you are. And the Lord had to blind his eyes and allow him to live without being able to see for days and days. Because he had to examine his own heart before he ever preached to anybody else. This has been different on Wednesday night. I know it has. But God has been rooting in my spirit. This is why we battle so much with people saying, I'm going to go somewhere where I don't have to obey that standard. I'm going to find me a church that doesn't teach it that hard. You missed it. You're doing it for the church. You're not doing it because you love him. Does anybody feel the Holy Ghost? Let's just reach our hands towards heaven right now. Hey, Lama Satara Bohura Kashata Bahai.
that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in my name. Think about that. That repentance and remission of sin should be preached in my name. And I'm not doubting one, one moment the correlation between that and Acts the second chapter. But Jesus never specifically mentioned baptism. Although you can, you can connect that dot without a doubt. In my name, Acts 2.38, baptized in the name of Jesus. Sure, you can connect it. There's not even a question. But he specifically says that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in my name. When the apostolic church will repent of our sins, that we would rather have the hand of fellowship and agreement from somebody else that will walk outside of the scripture than we would to walk in fellowship with God Almighty and have him hold our hand. I believe then truly the Son of Man will be revealed to us. I don't want to find another pastor that will preach it easier. Because I'm looking with the wrong motive. I promise you, I promise you, I promise you. I know pastor's old fashioned. I know bishop's just an old fogey and we, we're just out of touch. I know that. You can find somebody somewhere that will let you do the things that we preach against doing in this church. But the question is, what is it about it that makes that so appealing to you that you want to find that? Oh, man. I don't believe that that's a heaven or hell issue. What's the motive behind that statement? Because the very simple fact that you just made that statement shows to me that for you, it is a heaven or hell issue. And again, I'm closing. But Brother Jordan, if there's something I could remove from our vernacular, it would be that. Pastor, you're saying if I don't do that, then I'm going to hell. You just missed it. You just made the whole thing about heaven or hell. And not because you love him. You see what I'm saying? It goes full circle. He didn't say repent so you can go to heaven. Repent so the son of man can be revealed as the lamb of God which takes away the sins of the world. And the only thing that would make me want to go back to an old way I used to dress. Old things I used to wear. Old things I used to say. Old places I used to go is the fact that I missed the first mark. I never experienced teshuva because unlike Joseph's brothers, when given the opportunity, not to just show remorse, but to do the same thing that I used to do, I gladly rejected it and said, Lord, that's not me anymore. And it caused the authority of Joseph to begin to weep tears. And Bishop, he spoke to them in a language that they could understand. And true revelation of his authority came to them. When John called for repentance, the revelation of Jesus Christ became clear to them. What is pastor calling FPC to tonight? I'm not calling you to be old-fashioned people that are just goofy and we're out of touch with reality. Oh, no, 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 no. The reason I still preach what I preach and live what I live is because I'm so madly in love. I'm so madly in love with Jesus. 
I have no bitterness in my heart tonight. I don't do this because my dad told me I would be tormented if I didn't. But I have to love it so much that if my dad walks away from it. Could we stand together? If people can walk away from this and say they're doing it because they are tired of living in fear, it lets me know they've never had a relationship. I honor my bishop tonight. I honor my grandfather. And I'm thankful for my precious heritage. But if I ever start questioning and wondering whether this Bible doctrine is essential or not, I've already proven that I don't deserve to be a preacher of this gospel. And I'm asking God to reveal to this church the true heart of your pastor tonight. That I don't just want to preach this so that when people look at me they can say, man... Pastor St. Clair is still conservative. <laughs> That's not my heart. I've lost friends in years gone by because I refused to acquiesce to their thought patterns of compromise. And that's okay. Because I don't do this for friendship. I do it because I love the Lord. And if you're wondering tonight if all of the things that I do are necessary for me to get to heaven, I can't give you a hundred percent for sure black and white verse of why I do everything I do. As pertaining to eternity. Because there's nowhere in the scripture that says. Turn your TV off when it gets bad. Or just throw it out of your house completely. It's just not in there. Because they weren't dealing with it. But what John dealt with. Will fix a TV problem. It'll fix a phone problem. Am I helping you tonight? God I believe your word has spoken. I don't ever want to lead this congregation from a position of fear-mongering. God, I don't ever want to lead this church with an arrogant, dictatorial spirit that demands righteousness because your word teaches us that righteousness cannot be demanded or it's not righteousness. Teach us to hear your voice, Father. Teach us to hear your voice. Teach us to fall in love with you. 
God, I'm really not interested tonight in figuring out how many quote-unquote standards I can undo and live without. If anything, your spirit is drawing us to a deeper place of understanding that we just can't live without you. And that will lead our heart down a pathway of realizing what's required of us to be holy, separated unto thee. I plead the blood of Jesus tonight over the word that's been released and over the soil in which it's been received. And I pray tonight, God, that it would take deep root, that you would help people to understand this is not about what the Pentecostal church teaches. This is being holy because you are holy. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Let your kingdom come and your will be done in earth as it is in heaven. And let the church say amen.